Good morning, everyone. My name is Keith, and I was just up here. Uh, I've, this, is, this is twice in, in, I don't know, in a short time, it seems. <laughs> so I'm glad. I, I hope, you know, there's still time to leave if, you know, I won't, I won't be upset. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, um, so welcome. I have a couple of uh, just things I want to let you know are happening around here. One, there's a, a, a ladies, a women's night of worship here tomorrow night at 7 um, up, in the, up in the worship center. And then we have, I hope you've seen these little flyers around. We have this music, art, and they didn't write ice cream, but you can write in ice cream. Music, art, and ice cream night on the 22nd. And the reason that we printed these is so that you can take them and give them to friends, give them to family, give them to neighbors. It is a uh, non-threatening, fun, easy opportunity um, for you to bring a friend to church where uh, there's, there's no weirdness. No one's going to be preaching at them. They don't need to bring a Bible. They can just come and hang out, and there will be live art that will be happening. There will be music that will be happening, and there'll be ice cream. So why would you not come? And it's free. So uh, if you want one of these, please take it as you go. Um, they're also uh, up, at the, up at the worship center if you need one or if you need more than one. So this summer, we've been doing this series, Is It Time for the Church to Change? And our typical pattern is, you know, during the academic year, we're reading through a book of the Bible. And we're reading through right now 1 Corinthians. And we're looking at what did God inspire this author to say? And then we're saying, okay, what does that tell us about who God is and who we are? And then the application, how do we then live that out? How does that change the way we live day to day? This summer, in this series, we're doing it backwards. We're starting over here with what are the, what are the things that we're talking about? What are the things, what are the issues that are uh, present and concerning in our culture? And then how do we, how do we form a, a belief about that thing based on what we know about God and what we know about ourselves? And, and how do we substantiate that? Where do we get that from the word? That makes sense? So a little bit different than we do during the academic year, but still uh, important for us. And we've used this verse uh, from Colossians 4 uh, to be kind of our centering verse, which says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, towards folks that, that don't know Christ, that don't know what you believe. Walk wisely and make the most, make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We want these are the issues that are being talked about, and we just want to be wise in our response. That's all. So today we're talking about addiction, and I am so grateful. I've, I've sought some of you out this week and last week just to ask, uh, give me your opin opinions. Give me your, your uh, experience, your education, the benefit of your wisdom on this area of addiction. So I'm very grateful to all of you who are willing to give me some of your time, because this is a big issue. And like all of them that we've dealt with so far this summer, we could spend weeks just talking about addiction. So I'm going to try and cram a lot of information into a very short amount of time. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray, if that's all right, and just ask for God's blessing on our time. Lord, would you speak this morning through your word, 
uh, regarding this issue, Lord, would you help us to reflect your character wherever we go and the things that we say and the things that we do? Would we be your ambassador in regard to addiction to the people in our lives for your glory, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. So, is addiction, the, the title that we give it is, is addiction a choice or a disease? And so I'm going to give the punchline away at the very beginning and say is both. There are pieces of both. And so there, it is way too complex to, to fit into neatly into one or the other of those boxes. It's not just, you know, a deficiency of willpower and, oh, if people just tried harder, they would be fine. And it's also not that we are determined to this by birth and there's nothing at all that we can do. We're just doomed to this horrible life of addiction. So neither of those extremes are true. And so we're going to unpack. So what is it then? What, what is the truth about addiction? So I'm going to start in the same place where I started on immigration, which is Genesis 3. This is the state of humanity. We are broken and selfish and sinful people. Um, I know the culture would like to say that, you know, we can do anything we want and we can be the best people that we can be and that at the core, we are wonderful, altruistic, and helpful people. But the Bible tells us at our core, we're selfish and we're broken people. And so we need to start with that brokenness. Jeremiah um, who's one of the prophets, says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who, apart from God, can understand it? So this is a complex issue with lots and lots of layers. Our heart is involved, and our heart is complicated and deceitful and desperately sick. Uh, later on in that same book, Jeremiah says, uh, speaking for God, he says, my people have committed two evils. The first they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They've forsaken God. And then second, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, things to hold water um, that are broken cisterns that don't hold water. So instead of the living, the fountain of living water, we've kind of carved out our own. We've made our own little jars for water and they're broken and they have holes in them and they leak and they don't satisfy. But we keep using those instead of going to the, the fountain of living water, which I think is a, is a picture of what addiction looks like. Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that people may have life and have it abundantly. So though we are broken, though there is uh, this corruption and sin in us, Christ has come that we might have life, that we might have joy, and that we might have it completely and abundantly. So we have our brokenness, we have God's hope and intent for us. The third element is we have an enemy, an active and a malicious enemy who would like to use us in any way possible to take glory from God. Um, first Peter, describe, Peter describes it in his first Peter, uh, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have an active enemy who is at work in and around uh, us all the time. So this is a, a complex problem, and it's only going to get more complex as I give you all kinds of definitions for what addiction is. So uh, I'll start with Webster's um, 
which is just a, a general, it is a compulsive, chronic, physiological or psychological need for a habit-forming substance, behavior, or activity having harmful physical, psychological, social effects. So a compulsive, we keep going back to it, keep going back to it, whether it's a substance, behavior, or activity, even though it's harmful. A uh, second one is from the American Psychological Association. Addiction is a chronic disorder with biological, psychological, social, and environmental factors. So how, how does it get there? How do we become addicted? Uh, the Psychological Association says there's, there's lots of ways. There are, there are a myriad of ways, and they list four kind of general categories. There's one they leave out, which is, which is spiritual, um, which I would say is, is an important one as a pastor. Um, but the other ones are not untrue. There are biological factors. There are psychological factors where people will turn to addiction because there is, has been trauma and they're self-medicating to get away from the pain of whatever happened. There are social factors, family factors, um, the people that we hang around with and what we're introduced to by our friends. There are all kinds of issues as to how we get into this situation. Um, Society of Addiction Medicine, people with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive despite harmful consequences. So there is at some point where whatever our genetic predisposition, we make a, a choice um, to engage in something which then can become this compulsive addiction um, that we go back to. So this guy is a, a theologian who's writing about sin and writing about addiction, um, but I like his definition because it includes one more feature. He says a it's a complex, progressive, injurious, theologians, theologians, they can't just say harmful, they have to say injurious. It's an injurious and often disabling attachment to the substance or behavior. So disabling means once I, once I make that choice, once I'm in, it is harder and harder and harder to get back out of that thing. There is, I have a limited capability to now get back out, it becomes increasingly more difficult to change. So um, if you were to get diagnosed with a, a disorder by a, a doctor, or psychologist, psychiatrist, there are factors that they look for to determine, is this an addiction? And these are four of those kind of determining factors. Is there an impaired ability to stop or an impaired ability to control? Um, our, our use of whatever this is. Uh, have there been multiple attempts to quit? Unsuccessful. Um, does life increasingly revolve around this activity? And is there a dependence, a physical dependence on this activity or on this substance? So lots of ways that this gets played out, lots of ways that this looks, but these are some of the factors that um, that play into it. So I, I tried to come up with my own definition, not because I think I am smarter than these organizations who have put way, way, way more time in it than I have, but they use big words and they use lots of words. And I think that makes it less helpful for us to remember. So I tried to put one together that use words I can understand <laughs> so that I can remember because otherwise it does me no good. So addiction is a pattern of unhealthy commitment to short-term satisfaction despite damage to ourselves and others. So
So a pattern, addiction means this is, going, this is a, a, what they call compulsive. We're going back to it and back to it and back to it, even though we know it's harmful. And whatever it is, whether it's an activity or a substance, it provides some payoff. We're going to it because there's a reward. There's a payoff. And we're getting something from it. So this pattern of unhealthy commitment to whatever this thing that's giving us that short-term payoff, despite the damage that it causes to ourselves or to others. So this is a common problem. This is, a, this is an everybody problem. This is not just a uh, select few problem. Here's a quote from a, a, a counselor, a, a clinician named Ed Welch. He says, every one of us is a potential addict. In a pressure-filled world, the pro prospect of instant escape can be exhilarating. No matter the object, whether it's drugs, alcohol, food, gambling, or sex, just to name a few, addictions lure us. They extend the promise of pleasure, and in the end, they deliver emptiness, death, and destruction. What began as an escape from the hassles of life becomes a form of bondage. And we hear this, you know, from people who have gotten out of addiction, just what that life feels like and what it, uh, what it does to their, their family and to the people around them. So I have a lot of statistics, and so I'm going to go quickly through them because um, we have more to get to. And so you guys, this will be available online. Um, you can find the, the stats later. All of it, you kind of already know. So I'm really not telling you anything new. Um, but just the overwhelming aspect of it will be the only important piece for today. Neuroscientists studying social media uh, determined that uh, positive interaction, like someone liking your tweet, produces and triggers the same dopamine, the same chemical reaction caused by gambling or recreational drugs. So uh, obviously not in the same amounts, but the same kind of reward center is being activated in our brain. So according to one research uh, firm, between 5 and 10% of social media users are unable to control the amount of social media that they take in. So one of those factors of addiction, inability to control the amount of use, um, is, is a factor for people to look at. Tobacco, the Center for Disease Control estimates 20% of Americans regularly use some form of tobacco on a regular basis, 65 million uh, Americans. In 2019, same CDC reported that 42% of Americans are obese, have some unhealthy pattern of connection with food that, um, that leads them to eating more often or more amounts than is healthy for them. 85% um, of, of American adults consume some form of caffeine daily. Um, the, the average was like, 120 milligrams or something, like four cups. Um, that's like two trips to Starbucks. One, uh, yeah, so we're probably well over whatever that average is because the Starbucks is too darn close to us. <laughs> and the fact that they know us by name is not a healthy sign. <laughs> um, so caffeine, alcohol, an estimated 15 million Americans have been diagnosed with an alcohol use disorder. Um, so that doesn't even count the ones who aren't diagnosed, 15 million of us. Pornography. One site, one leading pornography site reported in 2019, 
42 billion, with a B, 42 billion visitors in that year, which is 115 million per day, 5 million an hour, 80,000 a minute. And that's just one, one site to show the pull of, of what is available on the internet and how many people are using it. All media, and, and we could just call this entertainment. In 2020, one research firm found that uh, they, they estimated that Americans during the pandemic, their use of media went up by one full hour a day to a total of 13 hours a day. Now, when I first read that, I thought, I don't think I'm awake for 13 hours in a day. How could I be using media that whole time? Um, but they're counting everything. They're counting the, the radio on the way to work. They're counting the streaming music that's going on while we're working, the internet searches, the checking our phone, the streaming services on our TV. They're, they're counting it all. So 13 hours we are being fed. We are, being, we are receiving stimuli from all kinds of different media that is triggering our brain and changing the way that we interact with the world around us. So lots and lots of ways that, uh, that we are or potentially can be addicted. Drugs is the last one. Overdose deaths in the US and Canada rose by 30% during the, the pandemic. Um, and 70% of those are related to some form of opioid, uh, heroin, hydrocodone, oxycodone. Um, it is so bad that in, in British Columbia, they, they've started because people are getting um, drugs, specifically um, opioids, mixed with other things. They're giving them out, like giving away, you know, prescription drugs because the problem is so bad and the overdose rate is so high. They're trying their best to try and stem what's happening. So lots of ways Lots of ways that we as people can look for those wells, look for those, those you know, things to hold water that are broken and have holes and, and keep going back to those broken wells. Um, so everyone is at risk. Everyone, every one of us needs to look and to be aware of the things that we're counting on in our life to provide peace, to provide energy, to provide escape, to provide satisfaction. It is helpful for all of us to identify those things and recognize where we're going. Are we going to the fountain of living water? Are we going to a, a broken pitcher? What are we doing um, and how often and, and what is the cost of those things? Now, I, I want to give a caveat. So all of us, right? All of us have the, this addiction or have this potential to be addicted to some short-term satisfaction instead of going to God. Um, but that is not to say that all addictions are the same. I don't want, I don't want any of you to, you know, to go up to a, you know, a heroin addicted, uh, addicted person and say, hey, bro, we are the same. You and me, we are, I mean, we're like two peas in a pod. I just learned at church, you know, that I'm addicted. I can't, I can't put down the TikTok. I just, <laughs> it is, uh, it is so bad that, I, that I, I missed part of a webinar at work because I was on my phone checking out media. Uh, if you say that to someone who is genuinely addicted, you know, to alcohol, to heroin, to whatever, they may be violent. <laughs> 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 uh, 
because it feels like you're making fun. Like, what are you talking about? You're addicted to your phone? Like, this drug is going to kill me. Your phone is not going to kill you. And so we need to understand, yes, there is, a, there is a tendency in our heart towards these things that don't satisfy, right? But there is a difference, and, and just three different ways that it's different. There's a different scope of damage, you know, the, the, the Instagram, the TikTok, whatever. Yes, it may, you know, decrease our productivity. Yes, it may be, you know, we're looking to that for a release when we, sh- we could be doing other healthier things. It's not going to kill us, and it's not going to kill the people around us. The severity of damage and also the timeline of damage. Alcohol, drugs, some of these other addictions, they will kill you in short order. It will be uh, a much faster downhill than for Facebook or TikTok or, you know, whatever other things. So please hear both of those intention. We all need to be aware and pay attention to the things that we are looking at for satisfaction when they're not God because they're broken and they're not going to satisfy us ultimately. At the same time, we need to understand that addictions are not all the same and we, we, uh, while we can empathize, and I want us to empathize, we also need to be aware that the, the pull, the physiological pull of something uh, like drugs, fentanyl or, or heroin or whatever, is, is much different. And, and for those of us who, who have not done that, who have not experienced that, it is important for us to say, I can't imagine what that feels like. I can't imagine what that physiological, that physical, biological pull of that drug is. But I know what it is to be broken. I know what it is um, to be looking to things that don't satisfy, that are dangerous, that are harmful. So uh, just so that we don't get ourselves beat up, okay? That's, that's the only reason I give you that caveat. So what's our Christ-centered solution? Seeing the addict through the eyes of Christ I'm going to use a passage from, uh, from Luke that is the, the prodigal son passage. And I want to give you a caveat because we, we care a lot about how we use the Bible. Um, and this is not a passage about addiction. <laughs> so I hope that's okay. I chose a, a passage that's not about addiction in my sermon on addiction. Um, but I think it does help us to know how to come alongside. It gives us uh, a picture of the character of God, so that as we are trying to be wise with our words with people who are broken, that we can choose to be like the father and choose not to be like the older brother. So I'm going to read the story quickly, and I'm going to look over here because the words are bigger. And uh, Jesus said uh, said to them, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. And so the father divided his property between the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and uh, took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, which which is the lowest of the low for a Jewish person. 
and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing and he called to one of the servants to ask what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and the father, your father has killed the fattened calf because he was received him back safe and sound. But he was, the older brother was angry and refused to go in. The father came out and entreated him, begged him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed you. Sorry, never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So there are three lies, I think, that are, are common in addiction um, common to those who are, who are caught in that cycle of addiction. First is that this is just who I am. I can't be anybody else. You know, part of this, I don't know how much, but some part of it is, is in my genes. It's, it's biological. I can't do anything else. Second one, no one understands. No one can possibly understand. No one can possibly know what I've been through, and no one will accept me. And then lastly, there's no way out. This is just, this is it. This is all I get. There's no way other than this. And I think from this story, we learn the addict, the, the guy who, the younger brother who goes off. We don't know necessarily that this was a pattern with the younger brother, um, but at least in this instance, he goes off and, and says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. My behavior is such that I'm disqualified from being your son. And the father says, you are my son. Always, always my son. Second, some people did give up on him, but the father never did. The father never gave up on him. And the other truth we see is that no matter how far we get away from the father, recovery, return is always possible. Always. He's always waiting. He's always looking out at that road for the son to come back. So I've asked uh, a friend to come up. Marty Grasso, to share a little bit of his story. Thank you. Thanks, Keith. Uh, first, um, some of you may know how to respond to me when I say, hi, I'm Marty, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, thank you, thank you. There's a few of us out there. Good, good. Um, we're the ones that uh, Pastor Todd says that he doesn't trust because he can't see what we struggle with. Uh, 
obviously I struggle with other things as well, food. Um, so, uh, uh, Keith, I, I had a hard time paring down 14 years of, uh, of using and, and 24 years of sobriety into uh, five minutes, really. You know, he said I could maybe go six, but um, he starts jumping up and down, then I need to stop. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now um, in sobriety. I was broken. I am broken, um, I can't, like all of us. Uh, I, but I came from a solid family, maybe, maybe just a little dysfunctional. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that, um, that I had trouble with is I didn't learn that uh, actions had consequences. Um, and I, and I had a lot of insecurity and a lack of confidence. Now, uh, part of that probably, you know, I felt a little off. Part of that was probably because uh, I had to shop in the husky section and, you know, people called me bubble butt and, you know, things like that. So it was, it was, it was tough. But uh, at age 13, I discovered that alcohol helped me to feel more confident and, those, um, and escape from, from those feelings. So um, drinking alcohol at 13, 15, smoking marijuana, um, at 18, I did discover cocaine, and wow, that was the best um, for me. Uh, so I, I became, I started to become uh, Party Marty, uh, which was great. That was fun. It was a lot of uh, good times through college, um, but that's really where my disease started to kick in. Um, I, I started to have no control. Um, I was always over the top, um, and even uh, even told that I had problems uh, by others, and Gosh, even the fraternity brothers gave me a new nickname, BD, which was bad drunk. Um, so toward the end of college, I, I started chasing the girl, my, the girl of my dreams, now my wife, Katie. Uh, and, but I didn't let her see BD. Uh, I, I stuck with Party Marty. Um, so let's uh, kind of fast forward to the juicy part, what happened. Uh, our first year of marriage was difficult. Um, well, the first year of a marriage for anybody is difficult, and, and, and I made ours uh, even more difficult with, um, you know, my going over the top, uh, the, the ups and downs. You know, why don't I? <laughs> That's better. <laughs> That's better on my neck. And the reason I have notes is so that I don't go, like, 30 minutes. So uh, I'm just trying to, because I could go, like I said, for quite a long time here. Um, so uh, the ups and downs of my using created mood swings, um, uh, instability, inconsistence, jealousy, and, and, and of course, anger. Um, I ended up losing my job. Um, they they kind of knew that I had an issue. They knew I was, uh, a, a, uh, they knew that I was, uh, that I had a, a problem, and, and they asked me, and I, of course, said, no, I don't, and it's not my fault. It's your fault, and uh, I'm going to go now, and maybe almost crashed my car on the way out of the parking lot because I was angry. Um, so uh, after losing my job, um, things got worse at home. And uh, I finally did admit my addiction to Katie. And she said, great, just stop. Um, and like we heard Keith talking about, that's not uh, it really as easy. It doesn't, it's not really that easy. Um, we, had a, we had a fight. Uh, one night, I, I dumped all my dope out that night and was very, uh, you know, promised things would get better. The next morning, uh, she told me not to come home, not to be here. She said, don't be here when I come home from work. So I went, uh, actually had a third job interview that morning. I went off to that interview, um, but I had dumped my dope. But like any good addict, I had some stashed in my car. 
So, <laughs> so I got high. I, I didn't get the job. Uh, I didn't go home. And I went to rehab um, right then and there. So that's where I started to see God working. Um, in rehab, I actually learned, because I, because I had broken, because I hit my bottom, I, I was able to listen and to hear and to understand that God was working in my life. I learned that alcohol wasn't the problem, it was the symptom, which leads to, gosh, if alcohol is not the problem, that must mean that I'm the problem. <laughs> that was a tough one to get to. Um, I, I learned that I've got what I call a God-shaped hole. We've, I, I believe we all have a God-shaped hole within us, and we try to fill that God-shaped hole with other things like alcohol, drugs, uh, apparently uh, lots of pornography. And um, well, well I, th I think a lot more, that was shocking, a lot more pornography, I think, than any of us think. Um, but, but food and, uh, and other things uh, work. Um, I, I can go on and on. So once I came to these realizations, I started to actually participate in my sobriety, participate in my, uh, you know, going to meetings and actually listening and doing things instead of just showing up and uh, twiddling my thumbs. Um, eventually, I found this church. Um, I, my wife and I were on a walk with our dogs, and we found this couple, and I don't know why, but for some reason, I said, hey, do you know of a church around here? And they said, yeah, why don't you follow us tomorrow? And came here to RCC. Um, I was uh, Clinton Laurie Sadler. Um, they, uh, they, they brought us upstairs to the Sunday school group. Uh, it was called New Foundations and uh, just really, really um, bonded immediately and, and, and made friends that uh, I, I believe I'll have for the rest of my life. So I also started reading the Bible with Katie and with uh, um, a friend, F.D. Giambattista, and, and, and I learned that I can live for eternity, and eternity can start right now. And that was so appealing to me. And that's when I gave my life to Christ. So what I'm like now, I, I treasure Christ, and, and I've got my confidence in Christ. I'm a positive influence on my family and my community. Um, I'm, 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 I've, I'm growing and building a family that's healthy. Yeah, maybe a little dysfunctional. Um, friends and family around me have become sober, uh, and quit drugs. Um, hey, Bob, hey, Adrian, and, uh, uh, Anika, uh, really proud of you. She's right behind me in sobriety. Um, my cousin, um, I've coached my kids' teams. I've been a part of, I've been involved in their lives. Um, you know, they're bo they've both chosen to go to private Christian colleges, and, and it just makes me so proud. So I coached kids, and I still get called Coach Marty around town sometimes. Um, so uh, alcoholism and, and addiction is very mysterious. Um, so I I'm going to do a quick analogy. It's like diabetes. Somebody with diabetes can take their insulin, and that diabetes is what we would call arrested. So it's under control. For an addict, that diabetes is a 12-step program or some sort of program, some sort of um, uh, uh, work. So much like if, an, uh, if, an, if, if, if a diabetic doesn't take their insulin, they're going to get sick and die. If a addict doesn't take their meetings, they're going to get sick and die. 
So I, I'm, I'm very open about this. I love to talk to anybody about this at any time. Um, also, if you can believe it, in addition to Co Coach Marty, some people now actually call me Smarty Marty. <laughs> and really, I can't believe this one either, bubble butts are now cool. I don't know. I'm not sure where Marty did his research on bubble butts. I cannot confirm nor deny. So this idea of arresting addiction, um, and I'm so grateful to Marty for being willing to stand up here in front of 100 people and however many of you are watching online and, and share his story. I want to... Uh, I, I hope that church is a, is a place where, where we get to do that and to be that. So how, how do we arrest addiction the way Marty talked about? And how do we love those who are caught in it? So we, we said at the beginning, there's all kinds of factors, right? Lots of different ways that we get here. So the way we get out may be equally diverse. It may start with your doctor, the, the biological component, the genetic component, it may start with a counselor, a therapist, um, to get at the psychological issues. The groups that Marty talked about, community groups, there are about a dozen that meet on our campus, and I'm so grateful that they do. Um, Tom Hubbard has got a table out here as you go uh, that covers some of the groups that are here on our campus, um, specifically um, family members of an addict. Uh, environmental, our friends, spiritual life, our life group, our pastor, there are lots of resources um, and any one of them or, or a combination of all of them are, are a great place for us to begin. We need to just remember and affirm that God made us to be happy. The happiness piece is not the piece we need to get rid of. It's not like, oh man, I was so busy trying to be happy. Now I need to be miserable, I guess. Like it's just the source that is the problem. Where we were going for that happiness was never going to satisfy us and was in fact, going to be dangerous. Confess our unhealthy commitments. Church ought to be the place where we confess with people who we trust that we can say, hey, this is not healthy. This is not good for me, not good for my family. Um, and pursue Jesus in every situation. Now, um, this is not just a, hey, you know, I decided that one time to follow Jesus and that was good. And now, you know, I kind of just coast. I just kind of do whatever from here on out. Um, C.S. Lewis had a has a great quote from Mere Christianity. He says, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. And on the other side, an apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or a railway line or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack that otherwise was impossible. The decisions, the small decisions we make every day move us further down one road or another. So lastly, First, we, we just recognize what is true about God and about us, that he made us to be happy. He made us to
to enjoy the things that he put around us, but to enjoy them in their proper perspective with him at the top. Confess those unhealthy commitments and work toward pursuing Jesus in every situation. And then as we deal with folks, um, you know, this, this whole series, how do we deal with folks that, that maybe aren't in the church or maybe are, are stuck in something? We can be wise and we can be gracious. We can love wisely. So um, loving wisely is hard. And it's complicated. You know, how do we, we can't throw our arms open when somebody's in the middle of addiction because we will get abused and we will get manipulated and we will get used. So how, how do we love wisely? And that's the question. Um, we can, every situation is going to be different, but that's where we need our friends. We need our counselors. We need people in our lives who can help us make that decision, help us sort out all those factors so that we can love wisely. But the first part is just to love. So a couple of ways that might look is moving toward someone in addiction and not away. The less we can be like the older brother and the more we can be like the father, the better. Second, we can listen and we can pray. Even if addiction wasn't in our history, we can listen and we can pray for them, we can care for them, and we can love wisely. So that's my hope, that in whatever conversations, in whatever situations, we would be known for our love, and we would do that in a way that is wise, in a way that's informed, in a way that's engaged, and in a way that is, is kind. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, life is complex and it's difficult, and we don't always know how to respond. But Lord, you have given us your spirit. You have given us the mind of Christ. Lord, help us to, uh, to be wise, to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Lord, help us to be your ambassadors um, with the people around us and to give words of hope and to point them to the fountain of living water. In your name, amen.